It's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. today there are many people who claim to have a belief in something, claim to have faith in something, but how can you and I know if that person's faith is genuine? How can you and I know if that person truly believes uh, what they claim to believe? And and one of the best ways to determine if someone has a, a genuine faith in something is to examine their works, to examine their actions, to examine if they act upon what they claim to have faith in, what they claim to believe in. For example, if I said that I have faith that, that this chair right here could hold all of my weight, one of the best ways to determine if I genuinely had faith that this chair could actually do this uh, would be to examine my actions, to examine whether I actually ever sat in that chair and put all my weight into that chair. And uh, if I did sit in that chair and I allowed it to, to hold all my weight, then you know that would show I had a genuine faith that that chair could hold me because I would have demonstrated it through sitting in it. But if I never sat in the chair, I never allowed it to hold my weight, but I kept claiming, oh yeah, I really trust this chair. I really believe it can hold my weight. You know, you would be right in doubting the genuineness of my faith in that chair because my actions would not line up with what I was claiming to have faith in. So so one of the best determiners of whether or not someone has a genuine faith is really seeing it's in their actions, seeing in their works. And that's something that the author of Hebrews reveals to us through the example of Noah's faith. We see a specific thing that the author focuses on with Noah, and that is his work of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, the author has been sharing examples of faith, and with each example, he gives that specific area in the person's life where they're demonstrating faith. We saw with Abel, the worship that he had in faith. Uh, We see with Enoch, he demonstrated faith in his walk with God. And now this morning, we're going to see Noah and how he demonstrates faith in his works of obedience to God. And there's four main things that we're going to look at this morning uh, concerning Noah's work of faith. First, we're going to see Noah's fear of God. And we're going to see how that fear of God motivated Noah's work of faith. Second, we're going to look at Noah's fulfillment of what God commanded. We're going to see that Noah put into action what God commanded him to do and demonstrates through that his work of faith. Third, we're going to look at the forecast that Noah gives to the ungodly world. 
Noah's going to reveal a horrible forecast, the forecast of a flood of God's judgment coming upon the world, and he's going to proclaim that to the world that he lived in. And fourth, we're going to look at Noah's fortune from God. How does God respond to Noah's faith? What does God reward Noah's faith with? We're going to, we're going to see that as well in this verse. So as we look at Noah's work of faith this morning, we'll see Noah's fear, his fulfillment, his forecast, and his future. And really, there's going to be a great challenge through the example that we see of Noah that you and I would have a work of obedience. And we wouldn't just claim to have faith, but that it would be seen in our actions as well. You know, people who talk a big game and don't do anything are known as all talk and no action. And unfortunately, in the Christian world, there are those when it comes to faith who are all talk and no action. And that is not the kind of faith that God wants from us. He wants a faith that has action, a faith that works. So as we look at Noah's work of faith, I really want to challenge you to examine your own life. Examine where your faith is at. Can it be seen in your actions? Can it be seen in your works? Can it be seen in the way in which you live? And I want to give a special encouragement to fathers this morning since it's Father's Day. You know, Noah was a wonderful father. We're going to see that his work of faith protected and saved his family. And what a wonderful thing, because as fathers, that's one of the roles to be that protector of our home. And we're going to see that great example in Noah. So let's see what we can learn from the example of Noah's work of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 says this. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now in the book of Genesis, we have the entire account of the life of Noah that's recorded for us and it's four chapters long in in Genesis. But the specific thing that the author of Hebrews is speaking about in in, uh, Noah's life is actually just in the second half of Genesis chapter 6. And so we're going to be referencing that to make sure we understand what the author uh, is speaking about uh, as we look at this work of faith in Noah's life. And so the first thing the author tells us about Noah is by faith Noah, divinely being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. The first thing I want us to note about Noah's work of faith is the fear of God that Noah had and how that fear of God motivated Noah's work of faith. You know, the author tells us the thing that moved Noah. What is it that caused him to have this godly fear to begin with? Well, we're told that God divinely warned Noah of things not yet seen. Now, once again, as I mentioned with Abel and Enoch, you know, the author recognizes that his initial readers would have been familiar with the story of Noah. And so he just throws out, Noah was divinely warned of things not yet seen, but he doesn't actually specify what that thing was. And so let's read uh, in Genesis 6, we're actually given the specific warning that God gives, what he was divinely warning Noah of. But before we do that, God shares his heart 
his view of what the world was like at the time of Noah. And I think it's important to, to see the view of God before we see the judgment of God. Genesis 6.5 says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So during the time of Noah, the wickedness of mankind was so great that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. And this great wickedness of mankind, it caused God to bring a huge judgment upon the world. And it's this huge judgment that is the divine warning that God gives to Noah. And we see this in Genesis chapter 6, verse 13, and also in verses 17 and 19. God tells Noah this. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence throughout them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. So God divinely warns Noah of a huge judgment that he was going to bring upon this wicked world. And that judgment would be a flood. That's a pretty sobering thing to hear. Quite a severe judgment from God. He's going to destroy from under heaven all flesh. Every single person, every single animal, everything that breathes is going to be wiped out. And there's only one exception to that. Noah, his wife, his three sons, their wives, and then two of each kind of animal. And the reason that God is sparing Noah is He's going to make a covenant with them. And they're going to be kept alive in this ark that's going to protect them from this judgment in a flood. Now that's some pretty sobering and horrible news. And I want you to try to imagine how you might have felt if you were Noah. And God brought that news to you. And you're there and you're in the midst of this wicked, wicked world. And God comes and He reveals to you His plan to destroy everyone except for you and your family. And the only thing that's going to survive besides that are two of every kind of animal. Now, if you believe that God was truly going to do this, if you had faith that God was going to bring this horrible judgment upon the world, I think you would most likely have the same response as Noah did, which is the response of a fear of God. He was moved with godly fear. If you truly believe that God's judgment was coming, I think there would just be this healthy fear of God and His judgment that would motivate you to do what God had commanded you to do. You see, fear is a pretty good motivator. Yeah, it's actually one of the best motivators that there are. 
Doctors use fear all the time to motivate their patients. They'll say things like, you know, if you don't, you lose more weight, you're going to have a heart attack. If you don't change your diet, you're going to get diabetes. If you don't do this, you know, then they share the, the extreme consequence that comes with that. And their hope is the fear of a heart attack, the fear of diabetes, the fear of whatever would cause you to do what they're telling you you need to do. You know, when we're driving, most of us probably would prefer to go faster sometimes than we should, than the speed limit allows. And, and there's a, a fear that sometimes, maybe not always, keeps us driving the speed limit. And that fear is getting a ticket and having to pay the cost of that and having to you know, go through the driving school and all that goes with it. One of the big motivators for children to obey their parents is fear of discipline. That there's a fear, a healthy fear that causes them to do what they're told because they know the consequences are not worth disobeying. You know, one of the things that motivates people in a society who follow horrible dictators like something like North Korea is a fear of death and imprisonment and beatings. And so they'll, they'll, they'll obey out of fear. We live in a world that's motivated by fear every day. And the thing that's odd to me it's the fact that we live in this world motivated by fear, but yet the thing that they should fear the most is the thing they don't fear at all. The thing they should fear the most is the judgment of God for their sin, and it seems that that is the thing that they fear nothing at all. Jesus, he talks about the importance of fearing God over anyone else. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, Don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear, fear Him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Jesus is saying, hey, don't just fear people who can only kill your physical body because that's the worst they can do and that's all they can do. There's someone much greater that you should fear and that is God. Why? Because He can do far more than just kill your physical body. He can destroy your soul for eternity in hell. How much more fear we should have of that. You see, the greatest danger any person has is that one day they will stand before God unpardoned, unsaved, and uncleansed. Because the Bible says, if that happens, that person is going to suffer the judgment of God for all eternity in hell. One of the biggest problems in our culture is that it no longer has a fear of God. And that's something that we've seen for years deteriorating more and more. And when the fear of God diminishes, the wickedness increases, the sin increases, the depravity increases. And we're just seeing that in front of our eyes. When a culture loses their fear of God, the fear of His judgment for sin, it just leads to an explosion of sinful behavior. But you know, even worse than that, it removes one of the greatest motivators to get right with God. See, fear of God's judgment is one of the things that drives people to God, drives people to their need for a Savior, drives people to the reality of, I don't want to face God's judgment. I need something to save me and keep me from that judgment. But when you remove the judgment of God and the fear of that judgment, you remove that great motivator to drive people to the arms of Jesus. Now, unfortunately, the world's not the only place where fear is, of God is diminishing. It's also diminishing greatly in the church. Adrian Rogers said this, I'd rather frighten people into heaven 
then tranquilize them into hell. Sadly, there's a growing number of pastors and churches that have concluded, you know what, sin's offensive, hell's offensive, we don't want to frighten people with those things, and so we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to teach about that. We're just going to ignore those things and leave them alone. And in doing so, they're removing one of the greatest motivators to get right with God. But you know what? They're also removing one of the greatest motivators to preach the gospel. You see, the fact that God will judge the world, judge people's sin by sending them to hell, and the only way to escape that judgment is to receive the good news of the gospel, that is a huge motivator to believers to say, I'm going to get out and I'm going to proclaim the good news of the gospel. But if I'm sitting in a church and you know there's no fear of judgment, no fear of hell, no fear of sin, and it's totally ignored... I don't have the same motivation to get out and reach people who I know are going to suffer that judgment if they don't hear the good news of the gospel. Proverbs 9.10 tells us, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of God's a good thing. It's the beginning of wisdom. You know, wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. It helps us take what we know and put it into action, put it to work. So you know what? The fear of the Lord helps you put your faith into action. It helps you to take your faith and work it out. So the first thing I want you to know about Noah's work of faith is the fear of God motivated Noah to put work to his faith. And this is a great example to you and I that, you know, just the fear of God, this healthy, reverential fear is a wonderful motivator for us to put our faith to work, to act upon it, not just to say we believe things, but to actually obey what God tells us to do. Well, we're going to see two ways that Noah puts his faith into action. First, we're going to see it through the fulfillment of what God commanded him to do. And second, we're going to see it through the forecast that he shares with the ungodly world. So first, the fulfillment of what God commands Noah to do. Verse 7, once again, By faith being divinely warned of things not yet seen, move with godly fear, and here's the key, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. So God warns Noah of this judgment that's going to come upon the earth in a flood. But he also tells Noah, here's what you need to do if you want to be protected. If you want to be saved from this grand judgment that I'm bringing. And God tells him exactly what he needs to do in Genesis 6, 14-16. He tells him this. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, and its width 50 cubits, its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in it in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. So the Lord tells Noah that in order for him and his family and, and two of every kind of animal to be protected and saved from the flood of judgment, Noah's going to have to build an ark. And God tells Noah what to build the ark with, how big to make this ark, how to, how to design it. But I want you to note two important things about what God is commanding Noah to do. The first thing 
It's just the, the sheer magnitude of what this command brings with it. This is a huge ark. The dimensions that God gives to Noah to build an ark is that it would be 51 feet high, 85 feet wide, and 510 feet long. Now, if that is something that doesn't calculate in your mind, you say, you can tell me 500 feet or 1,000 feet, there's nothing that comes to my mind to help distinguish the size of that. Let me give you some idea of how big that is. A football field from goalpost to goalpost is 390 feet long. The ark was 510 feet long. So the ark was almost a football field and a half in length. Now, a football field is also 160 feet wide, and the ark was 85 feet wide, so the ark was a little over half the width. The width of the ark was a little half the width of a football field. A five-story building is typically about 50 feet tall, and the ark was 51 feet tall. So the ark was taller than a five-story building. If the ark was in a high school football field, it would look something like this. And so I hope you see this, the, the, the volume, the size of this ark was enormous. And the reason I want you to understand the dimensions of the ark is not to in, get into you know, how all the animals could fit into that, which is a whole other teaching, but just to recognize how big of a task that was for Noah to try to undertake. The Bible tells us it took Noah and his sons 120 years to finish this. I mean, that's, there, there's nothing, there's no job that we've ever had where it's like, hey, you know, I mean, if they told us it's going to take 50 years to accomplish this one task, you'd be like, yeah, I'm not signing up for that. 120 years is what it took for Noah to do this. So the first thing I want you to note is the enormous task God was giving Noah, what he was commanding Noah to do in preparing and building this ark. And the second thing I want you to note, which fits in with that one, is how crazy this would have seemed, maybe even to Noah, but especially to everyone in the world at that time. You see, it's important to note that up to this point in time, it had never rained before. Genesis tells us that God watered the earth with a mist. It's believed that it was kind of just a, a giant canopy around the world, kind of like a greenhouse effect. And so it never had rain, so there was never any flooding. You know, here in Houston, we're so used to heavy rains and flooding. If we heard of a, a flood, then we might be like, oh, goodness. But they never experienced this. They never saw this. And so, you know, uh, this would have been something that would have just seemed crazy. But also understand, Noah is building this ark hundreds of miles from any large body of water where an ark like that would actually be able to go. So he's building this huge ark hundreds of miles from water, which would have seemed crazy. But when someone asked him, why are you constructing this monstrosity? And he would tell them why. Well, God says that he is going to judge the world with a giant flood that's going to wipe everyone out. And so I'm building this to protect myself and those who are willing to get in it from this judgment. That would have sounded pretty crazy to the world around him. They never experienced rain. They never experienced flood. And it's like, yeah, God's going to do what? So Noah, he has this enormous task that seemed crazy to the world. And I just want you to try to picture you know, what that would have been like to be in his shoes during this time of constructing this ark. First, you get the worst possible news of your life. God's going to destroy the entire earth 
with a flood. But it gets worse. You realize it's not just people that God's going to destroy. He's going to destroy everything. Everything that's on the earth is going to be destroyed. And you start thinking to yourself, how am I going to survive after the flood? Because the flood's going to destroy houses. It's going to destroy cities. It's going to destroy everything that I know. Everything that I am comfortable with. For us today, that would be no more H-E-B or Kroger to get your food from. No more TVs, no more movies to entertain you, no more sports to watch, no more bands to go listen to, no more shops to go buy your clothes at. Everything you knew is gone. All that's left is you and your family and two of every kind of animal. And guess what? you got to start up from nothing, and it's up to you to repopulate the earth. And if that wasn't enough, you get the most enormous task of your life having to build this gigantic ark. Imagine how overwhelming that must have been for Noah. You know, just the sheer thought of all that could happen and the, the task before him. And don't forget why Noah has to build the ark. It's to save his life and his wife's life and his kids' lives and their wives' lives and two of every kind of animal's lives. You know, talk about pressure. That ark better float. And if that wasn't bad enough, the whole world's against him. Try and picture those 120 years, what they would have been like. No one but your immediate family is willing to help you build this ark. Not only are they not willing to help you, they ridicule you. They think you're crazy. No one but your family is willing to listen to the message that God's given to you. I can imagine Noah was ridiculed on a regular basis. Goes into town for some supplies to build the ark. People probably shouting, hey, everyone, it's crazy, Noah. When's it going to rain on us, Noah? Or kid asks, who's that, Dad? Oh, that's just some crazy old man who thinks God's going to drown us all. If God told you that he was going to destroy the world and he gave you this huge task of building this enormous ark, how would you respond to that? Well, your response would be based on whether you truly had faith in what God told you whether you truly had faith that God was going to bring judgment, where you truly had faith that the only way to escape that flood was through being in that ark. And if you truly had faith in those things, it would be seen in your works. It would be seen in your actions. You see, the genuineness of Noah's faith, the fact that we can be confident that he believed in what God divinely warned him of, he believed the flood was coming, is in the fact that he built the ark. He did what God told him to do. He put his faith into action by fulfilling what God commanded him to do. You see, Genesis 6.22 tells us, Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. And that's what Hebrews 7 is referencing when it says, Noah prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Noah did all that God commanded him to do, this huge monstrosity of an ark and all that went into it. Noah built it. And in doing so, he demonstrated the genuineness of his faith in God. You see, if Noah didn't build the ark, if he didn't obey what God told him to do, it would show he didn't really have faith that a flood was coming. He didn't really have faith that that was the only way to escape the judgment of God. The work of building the ark demonstrated the genuineness of Noah's faith. 
And this is something I think is just so important for us to understand. Our faith is seen. It's visible to others really in only one way through our actions, through our works. This is something that James spells out in James chapter 2. He, he kind of builds this whole um, case for faith without works is dead. And he says this in James 2.18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. James is saying, hey, genuine faith, the only way to really demonstrate that is through works. Oh, you could claim, I'll show you my faith without your works, but you can't, because that's the only thing that people could see. The only way you can truly see if someone has a genuine faith is through the works, through the actions that they do, because that's the only thing that you can see. So the second thing I want you to note about Noah's work of faith is the genuineness of faith was demonstrated by his fulfillment of what God commanded him to do. And here's just another great example for you and I, that the genuineness of our faith is demonstrated by us doing what God commands us to do. Now, I've been a pastor for a while I'm sure you've experienced other Christians sharing things. And you know what? As Christians, we make a lot of faith claims. We claim things like, I have faith that God's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Oh, I have faith that God's way of marriage is what is best and what is true. What He says a husband should do or what a wife should do is the best thing to do in a marriage. Oh, I have faith that prayer is important, that prayer works, that prayer changes lives. But sometimes we show through our works and actions, we don't really believe what we're claiming to have faith in. We might claim that, oh, I have faith that God rewards those who diligently seek Him, but you know what? If you're never diligently seeking God, guess what? You don't believe that. You might claim, oh, I got faith that God's way for marriage how he has established what a husband should do and what a wife should do, it is best, it is true, it is right. But if you're just doing your own thing, you're not doing what God's commanded you to do in that, guess what? You don't really believe that. You might claim to have faith that prayer is important and works, but if you don't pray, it shows you don't really believe that. You see, our actions and obedience to God demonstrates the genuineness of the faith that we claim to have. So Noah demonstrated the genuineness of his faith through fulfilling what God commanded him to do. But he also gen uh, demonstrated the genuineness of his faith in another way. It wasn't just in building an ark. It was sharing the forecast of the flood with the ungodly world around him. Hebrews 11.7 By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world. Noah revealed to the world the forecast of a horrible storm that was coming, one that would flood the entire world. And Noah shared that forecast of the coming flood with the world around him. You know, 2 Peter 2.5 tells us something about Noah. It says, God saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness. It took Noah 120 years to build the ark, but I want you to note something. That's all, all he did in those 120 years. 
His focus wasn't just building the ark. He also had another focus, and that was to preach to the world of the coming judgment of God. He proclaimed the forecast of the coming flood. But sadly, in this story, no one but his immediate family believed the message. You know, here in Houston, we get the forecast of hurricanes. We get warnings of flooding all the time. And sometimes people completely ignore those warnings, completely ignore the forecast, and it can be quite costly. It can actually even be deadly. The people of Noah's day ignored his preaching, ignored the forecast of the flood. They ignored the fact that the only way to be saved from God's judgment was to come into the ark. And because they ignored and rejected God's way of saving them from His judgment, they were condemned. That's why he says Noah condemned the world. His preaching, he shared the way for salvation. This is God's way to protect you from His judgment. They rejected it and brought condemnation upon themselves. Now here's something I think is important to remember about Noah. He continued to preach to this lost world for 120 years. And no one was listening. Year after year after year, he's telling people of the coming judgment, mockery, all sorts of different responses, but not the response of, oh, I believe it. I want to get in the ark. I want to be saved. After being ridiculed and rejected over and over by people, you know, you really wouldn't continue to share that message unless you had complete faith that God's judgment was coming. The fact that he does this for 120 years shows his conviction and his belief in the fact that judgment's coming. They're not listening, but I'm going to keep preaching because if just one will listen, they can be saved from what's coming. And he continued to preach because he truly did have faith in what God told him was coming. The third thing I want you to note about Noah's work of faith is the genuineness of his faith was demonstrated by him proclaiming the forecast of God's judgment to the world around him. And once again, this is a great example for us. If you truly believe that God's judgment is coming upon lost sinners as the Bible displays and declares for us, then that should cause us to demonstrate our faith by preaching the gospel to this lost world. If I truly believe there's only one way to be saved, there's only one message that brings salvation, there's only one way from someone to go to darkness to light, to go from death to life, and that is if they accept the good news of the gospel, if I really, really believe that, then I should be proclaiming, that should be one of the motivators to proclaim the gospel message to a world that right now, many, if they die today, are going to go to hell. But you know what? Noah was rejected and rejected and rejected over and over again for 120 years, but he kept preaching. And that's what you and I need to do as well. If you share the gospel enough times with people, you're going to have people reject you. They're not really rejecting you. They're rejecting the message. They're rejecting Jesus. But don't let that stop you from continuing to share the gospel. So the fear of God motivated Noah to put work to his faith and his fulfillment of what God commanded him to do and his proclaiming of the forecast of God's judgment demonstrated the genuineness of his faith. And so now we're going to see how God rewards Noah's faith 
by looking at Noah's fortune. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. One of the greatest things that God can give you, that God can give me, is to make us an heir of righteousness, to save us. And the way that God enabled Noah to have this inheritance of righteousness, the way that He enables you and I to have an inheritance of righteousness, to be that heir of righteousness, is in one way and one way only, through faith. Noah's faith in God enabled him to have the heir of righteousness and enabled him to be saved from the judgment of God. And in the same way for us, our faith in Jesus makes us heir to all that God has. Heir of righteousness and we are saved from God's judgment through that faith that we place in Jesus. Let's remember something. Noah's work of faith was costly. 120 years of his life was devoted to this. Cost him a huge amount of time, effort, money, resources. Noah spent 120 years of his life obeying what God commanded him to do, investing his life in the things of God, while the rest of the people in the world were investing their lives in the things of this world. And what a contrast you see. Noah investing in the things of God, the rest of the world investing in the things of the world. But in the end, Noah gained it all. And all the rest of the world besides his family lost it all. Jesus gives a similar warning. Mark 8, 34-36 says, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? The people of Noah's day, they lived for themselves and they tried to gain the world. And in the process, they lost their own soul and were destroyed. Noah lived for God in the process he was saved. He gained the world and his soul. The fourth thing I want you to note about Noah's work of faith is that God rewarded Noah's faith with the fortune of salvation and righteousness, and he became an heir of that. Another great example for you and for me, when we place our faith in Jesus, there's a reward. The greatest reward there is, God says, you know what? I am going to save you. I'm going to make you an heir. I'm going to make you an heir of righteousness. I'm going to make you a child of God. Noah's work of faith was motivated by his fear of God. It was demonstrated by his fulfillment of what God commanded him to do and the fact that he shared that forecast of the coming judgment with the world. And it was rewarded by God with a fortune of salvation and righteousness. God wants you and I to have a work of faith that's motivated by a healthy reverential fear of Him, that's demonstrated by obedience to Him, and when we do that, it will be rewarded by Him. A lot of people today who are all talk, no action. But when it comes to faith, the Christian should not be all talk and no action. We need to be like Noah 
and demonstrate what you claim to have faith in through your actions. To live that faith out. To have a faith that works. And to you fathers here this morning, here's my Father's Day encouragement to you. Your family needs you to to not just hear you talk about faith. They need to see an example of faith. They need to see someone who is leading that family and demonstrating what faith looks like in action. You know, I'm blessed to have a father who practiced what he preached when it came to faith, didn't just talk about faith, but lived it out, was an example to me of that. And it's my desire to be that kind of example of faith to my girls as well. And my hope is that each of you fathers here, you want that. I want to be that example. I don't want to just talk about this stuff. I want to live it out. I want my kids to see it and it to impact their life so that they will live that way as well. Let's pray. Father, once again, we are so grateful for examples that we can look to, that we can follow, that we can be challenged by and encouraged by. And as we look to Noah, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to examine our own lives, to examine that is our faith just words or is it backed up with actions? And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to put our faith into practice. That we would be that example to our families, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our body of Christ, to this world of faith that actually works. Faith that can be seen through the way in which we live. Lord, we need your help to do that. It's impressive to think of what Noah did in the time in which he did it, in the time frame that it took to accomplish it, Lord. And and, and what amount of patience and perseverance and faith in you that it took, dependence on you that it took. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us in a world very similar, in a world that is wicked, in a world that's turned its back on you. God, we need people like Noah. We need to be those who stand for you, live for you. Even though people might not listen to the message of the gospel, even though people might reject, even though people might ridicule living for you, Lord, that we would not let that stop us from doing that and being that example and helping people know there is a judgment that's coming. And the only way to escape it is through accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so give us boldness to proclaim that good news, especially when we're rejected, especially when we're ridiculed, Lord, that we wouldn't give up and that we would keep doing it. And Lord, I just pray for fathers this morning. Lord, you've called us to be the heads of our home, the spiritual leaders, and it's a difficult task. God, we need the strength of your spirit. We need the wisdom. We need so much patience and love. And God, I just pray that you would help us, that we might be examples to our families of what it is to live a life of faith, to walk in faith, to obey you. Help that to be our legacy as fathers. I just pray you bless each father here and help each one of us to grow in our relationship with you so that we can be better in our relationships with our families. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll have the worship team come on up. Uh, This week, our our home group is going to be at the Weldon's. That's just going to be for the next uh, few weeks. But uh, we're going to start something a little different 
for summertime. Uh, so normal start, 6 o'clock, we're going to have a meal. I don't know if any of you have seen the new TV show, The Chosen, uh, about the life of Jesus that's come out. Uh, it's very well done. And uh, we're going to watch that, and we'll have some worship and prayer as well. But uh, we'll be watching that. And it's kind of just a, a little summer, different thing that we're going to be doing. So uh, the Weldons will be hosting that uh, this Thursday. Come on out for a meal. Uh, come on out for uh, just a good encouragement of seeing uh, Jesus' life kind of put on the screen and come to life for you. Uh, and I think you'll be encouraged by it. So let's go ahead and stand and just finish in a song of worship to the Lord.